and and for your mind, uh, Joshua, to be like, if I can get into um, the barn and get Daddy's shotgun, it's like you have you like you're going for the options that you feel like are helping you in this moment. But uh, baby boy, a shotgun ain't gonna do you a lick of good. Welcome to Smells Like Teen Mutants. This is a carefree black nerd walk down memory lane. <laughs> Join me, your host, Rain Coleman, as I revisit my all-time favorite comic, my favorite book of the 90s, Generation X. Now, sit back, relax, and <clears throat> load up on guns. Bring your friends <laughs> while we revisit this wonderful book generation x uh we're going to dive right into the phalanx covenant part two drop the leash Alrighty, guys so for this episode your reading is uh x-men issue number 36 and this is back from the 1991 series so if you have marvel unlimited or you're looking through your uh floppies or whatnot whatever gets x-men <laughs> number 36 y'all this oh my god this book so one thank you guys for coming back for the second installment thank you for the warm reception for the first episode i friggin love x twitter let me say that right here and now like i've been a fan of mutants for pretty much as long as i can remember well at least since 92 and of course, everyone sees a little bit of themselves in a mutant or two here or there, but like the ex Twitter community from from where I'm sitting, anyways, is such a wholesome. Well, let me not say wholesome because there's some y'all, some of y'all some freaks, <laughs> and I mean that in all the best ways. But no, it's such a great community, and I freaking love love it like to be quite honest so i just wanted to go on record of saying i love me some x twitter like there's been some things happening things moving around moving and shaking and you know news comes out and you're getting at the speed of light and people go with their hot takes and stuff i really do enjoy this fandom and i love me some x twitter so shout out to all of you guys all you mutants out there who are uh under the sound of my voice <laughs> so for this issue or this episode we're going to pick right up on well i won't say right up it feels like maybe maybe a couple hours have passed from the end of the last episode till now uh we still have our main players we have banshee we have white queen we have jubilee and we have Sabretooth. we have a few more people added this episode i'm added through this issue my favorite ever thomas uh we get page gunthry we get, um, yeah, that's, I believe that's it, I believe that's it, but that being said, keep those names in mind. Also, the Hellions will be uh, name dropped very quickly here. Uh, again, I do want to let you guys know there will be a Hellions episode coming up in a later date, uh, but for those of you who don't know about the Hellions and what's going on in significance, I would say check out Uncanny X-Men issue number 130, no, uh, I'm sorry, issue 314, and that'll give you pretty much the whole rundown of the Hellions, their importance, and their importance to the story going forward. So do that if you're impatient. And when you guys listen to this episode, please use that hashtag SLT 
M Pod. Smells like Teen Mutants. Uh, again, going back to X Twitter being amazing, I freaking love that space, that corner of Twitter. And uh, I've been shooting out my little tweets here and there. I'm about to ramp this up for show for show because I think we're now going to be in like the first official season of Smells Like Teen Mutants. So there we go. Um, creative team. Let's get right into the creative team. This artwork is so freaking 90s. The team is so 90s. So we have uh, for inks, Matt Ryan, letterer, Bill Oakley, penciler, Andy Kubert, and writer, I'm going to butcher this last name. I have not been able to say this man's name, no matter how much I hear other people say it. Fabian Nietzsche, and I know that is wrong. But again, guys, please charge it to my head and my heart. Y'all know when it comes to names, I'm butchering any and all names. <laughs> so forgive me, Fabian, and those of you who are offended by this terrible pronunciation of his name. Yes, so we start off with a prologue, and it's actually quite poetic. Another fave character of mine, Monet, she's now... From her point of view, well, her point of view and from the phalanx, we get the opening of her being consumed by this techno-organic material. And it says, <clears throat> she doesn't scream as she feels them crawling all over her. Like worms made of wire, pulsing, they strangle her every hair follicle. Straining, they burrow under her eyelids. She can hear them talking as well. A hollow chatter buzzing in her head. They call themselves the Phalanx. Their goal is to assimilate all life on Earth into their sentient, techno-organic collective intelligence. For everyone to see with their eyes, hear with their ears, talk with their lips, think with one mind. And then there's this like big photo of Monet just looking like... I don't want to say menacing because I feel like that's not the word, but she is just gold. Like, if you think of Star Wars, what's homeboy name? Um, not C-3PO. Y'all, again, I shouldn't even mention that because I am not a Star Wars stan. Uh, the other dude, the... Yeah, no, that's it. R2-D2 is the, whatever, the goal. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Her, her whole body, I mean, her hair follicles, everything. Like, the artwork is truly truly very good like the the words and the art match up completely um and it gives you this sense of like dread again i'm not sure if i mentioned this on the first episode but generation x is very much body horror like this series and the characters in the series really they play that up a lot and that's with mutants in general i guess if you like looking at different ways in which mutant powers manifest but for sure, I think because Generation X is such a smaller cast versus like X-Men and then the X-Men world at large, this body horror is something else. Like, this body horror is... Uh, we'll get to it, though. Now, uh, to continue on with my fantastic uh, rendition. But what the Phalanx Covenant doesn't realize... As their attempts to co-opt a young girl named Monet St. Croix. Now, let me take a second here. I've heard this woman's name pronounced two different ways. Croix and Croix. I 
went to school and had a uh, homegirl who was from the Virgin Islands, two actually, one from St. Thomas and one from St. Croix. Now, St. Croix was spelled the same way as Monet's last name. This girl who is a native of that island said St. Croix. I've always thought St. Croix. If Monet's name is pronounced Qua, let me know, but I I cannot be wrong on this one. Like, it has always been St. Croix. But if I'm wrong, that's fine, but I'm going to keep being wrong because this St. Croix to me. So, <clears throat> anyways, now, as their attempts to co-opt the young girl named Monet St. Croix, whom they kidnapped a day ago, meet with repeated failure is that she is calmly taking this opportunity to learn as much about them as they are about her. Confirm mutants still remain beyond the grasp of phalanx absorption. Biocentric analysis subject mutant life form Monet St. Croix assimilation unsuccessful query. Is subject designate status as a mutant carbonate solely responsible for absorption delinquency? 78 to 33 processing 22001 affirmative. They they are they are always an anomaly, but the reasons supplied is deemed insuff, insuff, insufficient for integration to the core memory. Why do only mutants resist assimilation to the collective? Theirs is a life form different than humans. But that is something we have always known, isn't it, Hodge? So at this point, the phalanx is like, what the fuck is up? This Monet girl is like deliberately disobeying us. She is not assimilating. What is that now? Let me take a second here to get a little bit more deep. So as a uh, black person, a person of color, though, okay, so when you're reading and consuming these stories, a lot of times, even with like prose books and um, animated shows and whatnot, a lot of things can have these this subtext and these like secondary meanings and you can ascribe certain um communities and personalities and a host of other things to like a certain story where the general public may not read that in but like looking back on this story about this brown girl this black girl being assimilated into this system and her defiance like her strong will standing up in um strong in who she is and what she is and that being the thing that they cannot break like that being what's giving them the this host of trouble like that that does it for me like i'm i'm all in and like learning monet after this because again i was a kid so i didn't know who she was but like reading this prologue i was like all right well she clearly got something going on this is somebody to watch out for and i don't know it's just it's ah, there's a lot there to unpack i'll keep it brief but just know where this discussion is going to head from this episode and episodes in the future because lord this is um this is a lot so hodge with his ugly ass he's one of the humans that have decided that oh yeah we're going to get the phalanx to destroy the mutants which is like my god and i know this gets old this gets tiring but when every show and movie and book you read and watch and consume has a person going above and beyond doing the most reckless shit to try to justify 
or an ends to him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the ends does not justify the means. Though I didn't really care for the movie Wonder Woman 84, it was like the same thing. The villain is going above and beyond doing this reckless shit that's going to cause chaos to everyone, not just the people you're trying to, like, pinpoint. Oh, my God. So, that's what's happening. Hodge is effed up. Now, <clears throat> I'll, um, back to my phalanx <clears throat> uh, script. Affirmative Lang, and we have both failed in our previous attempts to end the pox which mutants disease this planet with. It is for the reason that the collective seems to eliminate all mutant interference, and that is precisely why the next generation of Xavier Brood must be found. Now, Hodge with his ugly ass, I'm going to keep calling him ugly ass. Uh, take a shot every time I call him ugly. <laughs> he is sitting here pretty much... Going back and forth with the phalanx, like, okay, what if that can't, what if that doesn't happen? You know what I'm saying? And like, you talking about everybody who get in the way, the phalanx is like, yeah, anybody who opposed the phalanx must be destroyed. He's like, well, even humans? And they're like, uh, to assimilate all solves the problem of opposition. Yeah, fool. Humans too. So it's like, to eliminate that which can't be assimilated solves the problems of opposition. Again, to eliminate that which cannot be assimilated solves the problems of opposition. There's a whole nother realm of like assimilation in American culture at being a black and a brown and a POC, assimilating into the workspace, into the nine to five space, into just spaces where you are the minority and the way in which you have to move. Yeah, this is a comic about superheroes and the phalanx destroying a generation of kids, but like at the same time, there are so many similarities that just cannot be ignored. And especially seeing as Monet is a black woman, and when you're looking, and, and at this point in time in the issue in continuity, she's a child, so I don't know, maybe 15, 16. And when I think of, when I read through this, especially going through it for this episode, what constantly stood on the back of my neck was two things police brutality, so Black Lives Matter and everything associated with that, and also the policing of black aesthetics and black children like hair um there's been countless stories of schools where black children weren't allowed to have locks weren't allowed to have braids weren't allowed to like weren't allowed to wear their hair in their natural state we have a story from that often explosive nexus between the personal and the political it involves hair specifically the hairstyles of young african americans and the controversial decision made by one school district that fed into a heated national debate as 15 year old ashanti scott knows hair can say so much about us a cheerleader at butler high in louisville kentucky she proudly wears hers in its natural tightly curled state so she was stunned this year when she saw her school's new dress code policy it was the hair and I noticed that as you kept reading, it just added more and more hairstyles that were natural and mostly worn by black people. Did it feel personal to you? It felt very personal to me because I've worn those hairstyles. It was almost like an attack on me and who I am and my culture. Ashanti and mom Attica soon became part of a hot national debate around the country about perceptions involving natural hair. 
What offended the Scots is this line in the new policy, banning dreadlocks, twists, afros longer than two inches, and cornrows, which is even misspelled. Attica, an outspoken and newly elected Kentucky state legislator, immediately called her daughter school. But it was after hours, so she did what many of us do when frustrated, turn to social media. On Twitter, she wrote, so my daughter had registration today, and let's just say she's not happy about the JCPS no natural hair policy. The tweet going viral within minutes. Now, why not wait till the next day and call the school and try to sort it out that way? Because it was fresh, it was on my mind, and I knew I had the rest of the night to connect to other people who may also have some concerns about the policy as well. And she did. Soon, hundreds of responses, many from parents posting photos of their own children with hairdos that would violate the policy. I remember the young guy in particular, and, and forgive me, I don't remember the school, but it was a young boy, teenage boy, black boy, who was a wrestler, and in order for him to compete, at the level which he was like in the finals or you know i'm not into wrestling i don't know how that goes but he was like at the what would i guess would be like the finals the championship round match whatnot the or that that tournament rather um there's like in order to continue you have to cut your locks you have to cut your hair and it's like what the fuck is that check out this video a high school wrestler getting his dreadlocks cut in order to participate in a match. Yeah, and some people are wondering about the referee's moves here and whether this situation could have been handled differently. ABC's Zachary Keish is here with more. Zachary, good morning. Good morning to you, Dan. On one side, you have a white ref with a documented history of using a racial slur. And on the other side, a 17-year-old African-American student who has competed in more than 20 matches this year alone with no issues, but this time he was given an ultimatum. Cut the hair or take the loss. By this morning, the video posted online by a local reporter had been seen more than 10 million times. That's Andrew Johnson, an 11th grader from New Jersey, reluctantly agreeing to have his hair cut. His hair's always been like that, so for them to now bring it up is out of line. The ref, Alan Maloney, gave the Buena High School wrestler an option, cut his locks on the spot or forfeit the match, saying the hair violated athletic regulations. The student-athlete's mother writing on Facebook afterwards, hardest thing I've ever seen. He is good now, but that was brutal emotionally and physically. Marco, a student, was in the gym when it all went down. He says, Many people in the crowd were definitely angry that they were cutting his hair. He's never seen this happen before. From the matches I've seen, I have not seen his dreads be a problem with the referee or anything like that. According to SNJ Today, a news outlet, Johnson's coaches argued with officials about the decision to cut his hair, but with time running out, Andrew agreed to cut it. According to league rules, if a player's hair is too long, they can choose to wear a cap, as long as it's a legal hair cover that is attached to the ear guards. The wrestler opting to wear a legal hair cover must wear it to the weigh-in procedure. Why a cap wasn't an option in this case is unknown. In a statement, the school superintendent says the referee will no longer be permitted to officiate any contest that include athletes from the school. The incident raising questions over whether this humiliating act was motivated by race. According to a report by the Courier Post, Maloney acknowledged using a racial slur towards another official back in 2016. Maloney was then suspended and sent to sensitivity training. Now, the New Jersey Division on Civil Rights has launched an investigation into what happened. And despite Johnson's huge win, 
propelling his team to victory, the emotional toll from the match was visible with this reluctant raise of his hand. So again, though we're looking at this story that is on the surface purely comic books, superhero, wiping out the new heroes, hopefully the heroes can rise above, it's still you can't ignore how even unintentionally this mimics everyday life and especially in the 90s like my god just for for even the comic to mention that the phalanx consumed monet completely from every hair follicle to under her eyelids like everything about this woman has been downloaded and they're still considering her a substantial threat because she's still in spite of all of that is not giving in oh my god uh, but yeah, let me let me pull back. Let me pull back. So, Lang, um, not Lang, excuse me. Uh, Hodge with his ugly ass, take another shot. He's seeing the error of his ways, and what what the prologue ends on is the phalanx are evolving beyond his expectations. The phalanx are evolving beyond his expectations. Yes, yes, fool. Yes, they are. You so mad with revenge and wanting to get rid of every goddamn mutant that's out there and wanting to be, you know, want to eliminate this pox, this disgusting. Bl- it's just like, ah, again, I get that I'm reading the comic. I get that there has to be um, an antagonist. There has to be a villain. So I'm not even like stressing that part. But I'm just thinking like, man, when it comes to the mutants, are we really assuming this was real, real life? The fear, I get that, because you get people like Beast or like Archangel, and you're like, I don't know what's going on there. But then it's also like, this is clearly the next step in human evolution. Like, are we not, are we going to just ignore that? So stressed and fear be damned, who's to say that we all don't wake up, you know, at the strike of midnight tomorrow night and all be able to fly? It's like, ah, that's always been so strange to me. But it is what it is. So, moving past the prologue, we get into the meat. We get into the, the the good stuff, the goodness. Now, they are now seeing the world in ways which he fears, he being Hodge, could pose even more trouble for mankind than it does for mutants. Then we get this close-up, half-face panel, and it switches from being... Hodge to being this black boy with this blue cap and this I don't know blue shirt with like yellow trim on it and he says you gentlemen have to be kidding me then boom we get the drop the leash Stanley presents drop the leash book one generation next part two a tale of the X-Men brought to you by Fabian Nisaza, oh God, Andy Kubert, Matt Ryan, Bill Oakley, uh, Digital Chameleon, Bob Harris, and Tom DeFalco. Now, this is where I run into my issue. I'm going to go over the scene, you know, set the scene for you, and then we'll get into that. So the the big spread is this this black guy, this grown man, standing in front of. It looks like a police precinct, and there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, about 10 or 11 cops with their guns pointed at him. He's in a jersey, standing there with his arms crossed, looks very much like Bishop or any, I guess, any 90s character, any man in the 90s. And he says, is your intention to shoot me simply because I yelled too loud? 
One officer says, no, Thomas, it's because when you shouted, every single window between Gravos and Grand was blown out. And the other one says, that's reckless endangerment, vandalism, maybe even neglect, and assault tacked on. So what was all that about, kid? Now, they are frightened, is what it says. Um, they've always known Everett Thomas as a good kid, a straight-A student, the whole works. But then things started happening, odd things, and they all know that's when Everett always seemed to be at the center of it. They don't know he is a mutant. If the truth be told, he barely knows he's one himself. So there's a few things going on in this page alone. So you have this black man at the precinct, all guns on him. Apparently he shouted and windows for blocks were shattered. I get that. Okay. There's, you know, you're like, what the hell's going on? Uh, but mutants are not a new occurrence in continuity at this point. We are, however, in St. Louis, so I can see how, because everything happens in New York, you might not, that might not be your first place to go as to, like, mutants. All of these officers with these rifles and shotguns pointed at this man who's supposed to be a teenage boy, might I add, but, like, the artwork in the 90s, like, however good it is, it's the one thing that always messed me up as a kid because I didn't know, I assumed everybody were just adults. Jubilee is like the only person that kind of consistently feels like a child, but not really, because she's drawn in the same way as like Rogue and Psylocke and everybody else. So this boy looks like a grown-ass man. He looks like he's the same age as Sean, the same age as Bishop, same age as uh, Gambit. He looks like a grown-ass man, and that's terrible. I hate that. I really hate that. I hate the inconsistency between artwork when it comes to characters who are supposed to be children. Even if two artists have different art styles, but if in both styles they look like children, that makes more sense. But I'm going to assume that... No, I'm not going to assume that. What I was going to say is I'm going to assume that because Sabretooth is in the vicinity, maybe he synced up to his bulk, but no. Because like, he's consistently drawn as a grown-ass man. So the other thing that gets me is that the captions say that they've always known him to be a good kid, straight-A student, this and that. I don't care. Like, one, why are you pointing these guns at him? And then, two, I don't give a damn if he was a fool, badass, causing trouble, bad. What, what, I don't, that wouldn't matter. Like, he still, that still wouldn't warrant 12 fucking guns and rifles pointed at him. Like, ah, uh, I just, it's just such a we it's weird imagery looking at this and then knowing this was like 93, 94, and the state of like police and black people in the 90s and then being looking from the lens now of like being in the 2020s and everything that's going on for the last 10 20 years it's like this is weird this was a choice and a lot of things consuming media as a black person you have to a lot of stuff kind of goes by you or you don't see or you, just, you block out just because it's like, oh, God, what the fuck is this? Like, there's so many other ways Everett could have been introduced. This happened, so it is what it is. But, like, this is this is very weird. And just because all of y'all happen to know him, because I'm like, if y'all know him and you know he's a good kid and straight-A student and this and that, and you pulling out 12 rifles and guns, I'd hate to fucking see what you do to a black kid who you didn't know like i don't know if ever is always at the police station handing out cookies or something but like god damn this is 
this is weird. So he's different. He knows he's different. Now, with that being said, we have all these cops. We get the a panel from 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 Everett's point of view, focusing on them, and he's so calm. Like the Everett that we're getting here, um, I don't want to say he doesn't. He's not the same Everett throughout the series, but. Because I read this as a kid and I read him as an adult man, this feels very different. Because I'm like, regardless to if you have mutant powers or not, you as like this 15, 16 year old kid who just did this amazing thing. And I, mm, something it's just something about this feels very odd to me. Um, but he has always been seen as like a pretty confident kid who can take care of himself. So the officers are yelling back like, man, look. You you did some shit. We got to figure out what the hell's going on. And then a few officers in the back start to transform into the phalanx. He's like, "Hey, some of y'all know that I that I ain't do this shit on purpose. So turn around. These like four or five officers in the front turn around. It's the phalanx behind them, which is such a I don't know if I've described it before, but they're like think of water. Uh, they're very fluid, like water or like the wind, but their mass for lack of a better word, it's all like techno-organic, goldish, bronze-colored, yeah, whatever. I'll like put some put some images um, on the official Twitter account, SLTMPOC, Jesus, excuse me. Uh, but no, all that being said, like they then attack, like they attack Everett, they don't really attack the cops, but they kind of move some out the way. Everett is fighting for his life. Um, it's a very intense scene, and this is something that I would really like to see, um, on screen, honestly, like, see played out, um, just because a lot of the stories in the 90s for me were so good, um, as far as artwork is concerned, as far as, like, movement, and these big, like, like, think of Onslaught, I would love to see that on screen, but I digress, this isn't an Onslaught podcast, so they attack Everett. Eris fighting, the cops run away, which is like, also, y'all, just a few minutes ago, were holding rifles and guns at this man's, uh, at his person, and now that you have an actual threat that's attacking this kid, why are you not shooting this thing? Like, yeah, run away, but, like, let's do your fucking job. Like you were going to do before. So yeah. So here he's like, these are the things I've said about officer. I didn't do that. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? And so they're attacking him. And it's like they can't get a hold on what his power is. Which is very good. Like they can't sense what it is. So all these officers run away. Windows explode. In comes the cavalry. Banshee and Sabretooth. Now Sabretooth has this muzzle on his mouth he's had since the last issue and on his wrist. And they have these ugly ass toenails. I hate that they that his toenails were drawn this way. But he has these sharp like canine toenails, which is ugh, it looks so disgusting. So they they come in, the X-Men, because they're pretty much what's left, these two here. They're in here whooping ass now uh one thing i mentioned last episode is that you cannot use your powers twice on the phalanx they are able to adapt um process and adapt your power now banshee power however which i I love this i love this idea i love this writing where because his power is a sonic scream as long as he changes the wavelength or the decibel or the like as long as the wavelength changes he doesn't use the same one twice he's able to attack them which is like damn that's smart you know i don't 
I don't know how, if I would have thought of using his power like that against them with those limitations of you can only use your power once. Now, however, with Sabretooth, he's all physical. Like, so, you know, there, yeah, you know he can fight, but, like, there's no way to counteract that outside of just, like, fighting back versus, like, a person with sonic powers. Now you, you know, know how to, I don't know, stop those. <laughs> Whatever. So, Sabretooth gets in, starts whooping ass, ripping motherfuckers apart. Um, and then Banshee's like, hey, man, get the kid. He's like, all right. So, the Phalanx, and their design is so odd. It's like this kind of humanoid, kind of like alien, predator, mutated, whatnot. But it's never, it never seems to be the same. So, they get their ass whooped. Uh, Sabretooth grabs Everett, pulls him out the way. When Sabretooth is by Everett, I don't know if this is just by, like, the design, like how small the image is on the panel or what, but Everett looks more like a kid in that instance than he does in the entire book. But Banshee is whooping ass. He is screaming, and he is screaming, and he is screaming. He is ripping these motherfuckers apart. And Sabretooth turns back. He's like, I, I thought... I always thought you had it in you. Uh, so good to see some of that darkness come out. And this is interesting because I'm not sure if it was addressed in the run or even later on. Um, listeners, if you guys know, let me know. But this idea that Banshee has this darkness within him, like that feels more of a something, I guess, more akin to like White Queen, I would put it with. Like, And I and there's probably something that I'm missing or that I'm misremembering, but this this whole, yeah, you got your darkness in you, I'm glad you're, you're more like me than you thought, Irish. It's like, eh, okay, Sabretooth, like, at this point, you're talking out the side of your ass. He's like, yeah, man, um, the officers are determining if they should uh, arrest Banshee, and it's like, eh, it's just a bunch of silly shit. Now, it's interesting to see this dark side of you, Everett's like, hey, man, thank you for saving me, um, but my family, what about them? And Sean, he said, hey, man, they're only looking for mutants. They're not after your family, so you're good. Your family should be okay. So then we cut to Emma and Jubilee. Emma in this green bodysuit. I want this back. It's the green bodysuit with, like, black gloves and black boots kind of sort well it's all green in the face to black at the ends i love it i want to see her back in this uniform again like this is badass so her and jubilee are standing around she's telling jubilee get your ass off this car we're trying to be inconspicuous jubilee like these people they don't see us they they ain't they ain't really fucking with us and it was like that's because i'm using my powers to mask us psychically but like let's not draw attention to ourselves and well, what she says, what she says verbatim is, <clears throat> a little less drawing of attention seems advisable. Jubilee says, listen, Miss Frost, just because you're so bummed about what happened to your old students, the Hellions, which is like, hold the fuck up. I get that at this point, Emma has been a criminal, but like, motherfucker, like, you are a child. Do not be disrespectful as fuck. So she continues, doesn't mean that us young mutants shouldn't be seen or heard, ma'am. It's not about being seen or heard. It's about us not being attacked by these fucking machine monsters. This is such a weird way to write Jubilee. Uh, and then also to use the Hellions like to prove this argument that doesn't need like that it that doesn't matter right now. That's such a weird thing. So 
Emma tells her, look, I'm keeping us hidden, blah, whatever. And she doesn't even really respond to the Hellions comment, which is like, okay, that's that's cool. You know what I'm saying? You're still stressed and upset about it. But, but being an adult and being able to compartmentalize your issues, because that's clearly not as important as trying to get the rest of these kids, get us all safe somewhere, and defeat this menace that's, like, killing folks. Um, so Emma says, like... Um, you wonder why these humans are walking by us without a second glance. I'm using my telepathic powers. Now, I do like this. It's so dramatic. But back in the day when comics had, like, encyclopedias worth of text on screen, like, explaining shit that was just unnecessary. <laughs> but again, every comic is someone's first comic. This whole scene with her using her powers and explaining it to Jubilee is, like, so unnecessary. Like, <laughs> so unnecessary um but it also reflects her it shows her personality emma has always been a snarky confident smart mouth motherfucker and i love that for her keep it up keep it up so at this point jubilee is just upset now i am one who is a fan of jubilee i will go on record as saying because i've said it on twitter countless times but my issue with jubilee is that that character has been stuck in her origin for too long everything about jubilee i think generation x okay let me walk this back when jubilee came on the scene as the audience surrogate great i don't believe she has advanced or evolved past that space in the writers minds in the general public minds i think generation x was a way to Give her more, give her more substance, give her her own, you know, team of peers, give her more to do. But when you look at the characters from Generation X in present day and see how they've all evolved and moved around, been in different books and whatnot, and not to say she's the only one, but with her being this sort of kind of legacy character who was established way before Generation X was even thought of, I just feel like she hasn't been moved to a level deserving of her history i don't feel like she's been treated fairly as far as um writing has been concerned i don't believe that she's gotten a fair shake and it's i don't know it's just really frustrating because if you look at her and kitty pride they're essentially the same they're these entry-level characters who have joined up with the x-men in their teen years and have grown with the team and yet kitty pride and there's no shade against her you know but like she has been allowed to progress she's been in different books she's been hold she's held this level um this status that is like this is an x-men jubilee is just like this kid who whatever i just i don't like the way in which she's been portrayed i don't like the way I just don't like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I think Generation X was the best thing that could have happened to her. But after, outside of that, it's like, what are you doing with her? What are you doing? So, uh, <clears throat> so we move past this. Well, no, I'm sorry. At this point, the phalanx, the uh, bystanders who's walking by morph into the phalanx. Then we cut to um, an unseasonably cool breeze that's sliding down the hillside overlooking the Guthrie family farm in Cumberland County, Kentucky. It is a quiet night as the indifferent stars look down from the cold, dark sky. In short, a night, a typical night in the humble place 
typical until the phalanx come. You get this big shrakatoom and this mama, mama, page they back. So I, I'm, I talk a lot about what I like to see in the cinematic universe. How I like what scenes and images I'd like to see translated from comic panel to screen. And honestly, the Phalanx Covenant altogether, I could put that up as the origin movie for Generation X. Or at the very least, give me an animated series. But this scene, and again, I say, oh, this, oh, this book is so freaking good. You get this blonde-haired white woman in this uh, checkered, flannel-looking shirt. Like, they're really selling the country of it all. Being attacked by the phalanx. She's screaming. I love the way the text just invokes this chaotic stress. Paige, oh, Lord, stay back. Target acquired. Impediment rules enacted. And then you see, like, Paige, who apparently we're talking to, another uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white girl with this, like, big i don't know what this is if this is like just a big shirt or if this is shorts and a shirt but she has like this white sleep gear and she's pulling on her mama's arm no i'm not gonna let you go mama i'm not i'm not gonna let you go then you cut to these kids it's about what four five of them blonde hair blue eyed kids joshua what's that i don't know elizabeth but i I need you to stay away. If I could get into the barn and get daddy's old shotgun. Like, okay, so this is where I think that they did a really good job with the comic, with the story, and with these particular, like, um, introductions. With Everett, because they mention all of these things have happened, and he always seems to be at the center of it. And then, of course, we get the whole gun thing, although I think it should have been introduced differently i it did give me a sense that there's shit that's been going on so i wish we could have seen um more of ever's life and it's not wish like oh they need to put more of him but more or less i think the the book was written well enough that it's like damn if this is the end result from all of the shit that's happened i wonder what life was like for everett before like who was he syncing up with and using their powers and not knowing and then with this one in particular the guthries good lord even without the knowledge that cannonball this is his family sam guthrie this introduction was done so well like, you get the calm before the storm, you immediately get the storm, and then it's just high energy violence and stress. And to have it be between a woman, because that's the other thing, like, you could have easily made this, like, some, I'm the man in the house, I gotta take care of my family, my, the, the man is doing this, that, and the third, but, like, for Paige's mom to be the one who is fighting this alien creature thing to save her like that right there to me just feels like a Halle Berry movie <laughs> like some old school as uh, a movie where this woman is taking care of her kids but like this whole page not even the panels the whole page is fucking amazing so you go from the calm to the storm to chaos and stress and then immediately to like this feeling of helplessness you have her siblings who are watching this take place it's not like a person broke into your house. You could just get a bat and, you know, whatever. But it's like, and, and for your mind, uh, Joshua, to be like, if I can get into um, the barn and get daddy's shotgun, it's like, you have, you like, you're going for the options that you feel like are helping you in this moment. But baby boy, a shotgun 
ain't gonna do you a lick of good, but it's just so freaking chaotic, and I love this introduction. I honestly think this is one of the better um, introductions of the Generation X kids, because uh, with Monet's, I think it's very impactful, considering the uh, health condition that she has that's reflected in her um, or origin first appearance that will be addressed later on so put a pin in that and uh, you already know i don't really care for you no know, I'll, I'll absolutely do not care for everett having 12 fucking shotguns pointed at him and then jubilees is interesting but hers is more or less about white queen banshee and a little bit of saber tooth but this right here this is fucking gold like this if i get this whole page like printed out and scanned and framed i would i love this i love this um so yeah so they're arguing trying to get this thing away from their mom and joshua helps out he's pulling page she's screaming i'm trying josh my arm hurts so bad and it's like the stress the stress like can you imagine you and your siblings or if you're an only child you and your cousin standing night at grandma's house and all of a sudden this monster burst through the fucking front door grab your granny and then all of y'all and teenage years having to pull your granny off of it like that shit is i don't know maybe i'm just getting a little bit too personal or projecting but that shit is terrifying uh so yeah so She's like, uh, Paige, uh, let me go. For God's sake, let me go. And it's just, oh, you can feel the stress and the pain. And uh, she's just yelling at them like, you kids get out of here. And it's like, God, a mother's love. A parent's love, but specifically a mother's love. She's like, man, let this thing eat me, kill me, do whatever it's going to do. Y'all get the fuck out of here. <sighs> Shit is stressful. So the phalanx with their ugly asses, take a shot. That would be an admirable sacrifice on your part, human. With that, we were truly interested in assimilating you to begin with. The truth is that we merely sought you as bait to lure in the Generation Next mutant. It's like, girl, what? So then, as soon as they say that, the mom is like, mutant? Oh, oh lord, no. You're after Paige. Target designate Paige Guthrie. Mutagenic abilities, transitional body morph, target acquire, and they snatch her up, throw her mama out. Joshua is screaming, Mama, they got paid. Like, it is so. This, honestly, now that I think about it and talk it through, I think this is my favorite introduction of a mutant character um in the generation a specifically but this this shit is intense like <laughs> what the fuck and then the other thing is picture this happening in real time you stressed out it happens whatever but then also again remember cannonball is a mutant his family knows he's a mutant they know he's an x-man so on one end this is stressful and and shocking and frustrating you're trying to get away but then at the and on the other end there's a little bit of comfort in knowing stuff like this happens you know what i'm saying like it's not like this is just completely out the blue and like we about to have a heart attack i feel like the intensity and the stress from the incident would be the same but knowing that your son brother is a, a mutant he's off with the x-men you know things like this happens or um at this point is he with new mutants or is he with x-men no he's with the x-men um i think that would give a little bit of solace because now you have a point of reference when they take Paige and get away, you can immediately call him and say, hey, I don't know what the fuck going on. Some mutant shit happened. Your sister is gone. This is what it looked like. Does Xavier have some type of uh, Rolodex of monsters? Get my daughter back. So I feel like that 
in and of itself is kind I don't want to say a silver lining, but it's kind of a, a gray lining, so to speak. So, I don't know. And then Joshua's like, use your powers, do something, pet. like, do, do something. And another thing that I really like about the good threes, and I'm not a huge fan, not that I don't like them, but I don't have a lot of um, history with them past Paige and Sam in some stories. But this idea that they're such a tight family that when your kids get these mutant powers, you're not kicking them to the curb. We get so many stories of like mutant teenagers manifesting powers and people like Jubilee's parents call the folks on her. You know what I'm saying? Or like they get kicked out the house or they become homeless or runaways or whatnot. But knowing that the Guthrie's are such a tight family and okay, so let me stop here, put a pin in that. They're such a tight family that they're still accepting of their kids because you're my family over being a mutant and it never feels like they're like Oh, I wish you wasn't a mutant, but you're still my family, so I love you. It still feels like this is a loving family. Now, one could say, well, they're Sam and Paige are both attractive, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white people. Like, you know, they don't have any, like, um, mutant power that makes them look like Beast or Nightcrawler or anything. True, to an extent. Um, because Sam, however conventionally attractive and able-bodied, Paige, the same, but her power is absolutely disgusting. Like, being able to rip off layers of your skin to reveal a new form underneath. Though, yes, you are still a conventionally attractive, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white woman. Just the side effects of your powers. Like, having that skin just laying around. Like, And then, let's say you don't know, you don't have a hang on it. So, you transform and half your arm is like sludge. Or, you know, it, it, there's, I feel like she still is in that realm of body horror where though her default look is conventionally attractive white woman so she still fits in that overall uh, x-men beautiful people with powers who are human passing there's still a, a, a element of her power that is absolutely opposite of that and then there's also the side effect of her power that is just disgusting so i don't know that's my little like I love the Guthrie family now, and I think going through this show is helping me realize there's certain characters that I just absolutely have fallen for. And Paige has always been someone I liked. She was never my, like, you know, top top 10 mutants, but she was someone who I really enjoyed. And now I just, I love it. And this whole scene, I could just see it played out cinematically. Like, the Phalanx takes her, and then the whole family is just standing there. And her mom's like, Paige, my baby. My God. And then, like, what can we do? Like, this, oh, it's so heartbreaking. My goodness. So, yeah, we do that. Then we cut right back to Emma and Jubilee. They get attacked by the Phalanx. The Phalanx is whooping their ass. Then Banshee and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Banshee and Sabretooth pop up with Everett. And they just get the whooping ass. Now, this... Next little portion is something that I love. I don't think we saw a lot of this in Generation X overall. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't believe we did. So what happens is Everett, Sabretooth, and Banshee show up. They're helping fight. Jubilee and White Queen are talking. You know, they're re reacting. 
Emma says, uh, Sabretooth puts on a brave front, but he knows full well the true measure of his opponent. So it's pretty much speaking to the fact like he's talking his shit, but like he knows that he's not he's not a threat. He can't protect himself, let alone us. All he could do is fight, but he's going to eventually get tired. She says, it's only a matter of time before we're overwhelmed. What she does is Emma grabs Jubilee's head, her forehead, and she grabs Everett's hand. She says, come here, Jubilation. Everett, open your mind to me. And if you wish to survive this night, young man, do not resist me, for this may be our last hope of escaping. I'm going to link our three minds. Now, I like this because, again, you can't use your powers more than once against the phalanx or else then they adapt. Emma has used her powers, so they already know what's coming. Jubilee, I think she's used hers, and they know what's coming. Um, Everett is a special case. I'm not sure if it's if it's as clear, clearly defined, but because his power is to sync up with uh, the mutants or superpower people in the vicinity and use their powers, would that... I don't know if that's something that he could use more than once or if it even... I don't, I'm not clear. But she does this while Banshee and Sabretooth are getting their ass whooped. She says, if Banshee is to live, I must become a telepathic conduit between you and Jubilee. He says, if I she says, if I understand your mutant abilities correctly, Everett, you must see Jubilee through my eyes to access her pyrokinetic abilities with your own powers. And use her mutant gifts in ways she's been afraid to. In short, by detonating the very matter with which these techno-organic beings are composed of on a subatomic level. And this goes back to my argument as to why Jubilee has been shitted on so much. I hate that. Emma has mentioned, I think, a few times how Jubilee has so much potential. If you look at... Like, it frustrates me to no end. I'm trying not to get on, go on some, like, rant. But I hate that this woman can control plasma and you can't find a way to level up that power. But you have someone like Emma Frost who is, like, fucking badass with the telepathy and telekinesis all that shit but then you give her a diamond form like you're giving all these people secondary mutations and this is no stab or shade of emma of course but you're giving all these mutants different powers secondary mutations you're you're expanding or you're exploring different avenues of their very own power set and yet when it comes to jubilee you haven't done that like we do it whatever and this becomes a consistent theme Throughout the course of Generation X, Everett not only takes your powers, but he takes them and oftentimes uses them much better than the person he's taking them from. If he can do this with Jubilee's power right away in this like introduction of him, why hasn't Jubilee risen, risen to risen, rose, arise, got to that level with her own powers after all these goddamn years? Now. The explosion created by Everett Thomas in synchronous tune with Jubilation Lee makes the sonic wail of the Banshee seem like a mere whisper in comparison. The dust settles, the X-Men survive, the Phalanx, at least for now, have not. 
And he says, did, did I just do that? I'm sorry, Jubilee says, did I just do that? Ever says, no, I did. And she says, even better. No, nigga, like, why is that her response? No, Jubilee, you've been around for too damn long not to be able to use your powers in those in that way on your own. It's just frustrating, man. So Emma says, we don't have much time, Cassidy. Eventually, their collective intelligence will reconfigure the techno-organic matter into the new phalanx. And then they do just that. The image is that of a glass. Take another shot. He says, of course, for we of the phalanx can be anywhere, anytime. You perform impressively here, but in the overall scheme of things, X-Men, this is a minor victory at best. So Sean shouts, Lang! You're involved in this? You are Stephen Lang, the madman who tried to kill the X-Men years ago with the Sentinel attack inside of that rubbish? That's you? So, that's another thing I like. Like, it's a lot of catching up, because again, every comic could be someone's first comic, so this doesn't bother me. But I like this um, kind of wrapping up everything that we know as a reader, but shit, if you don't know... In short, that's what Lang is. You don't need to know much more than that. And he says, in a matter of speaking, Cassidy, actually, I am projecting my consciousness through the T.O. mesh. But that is unimportant. What does matter, however, is that you recognize the fact that resistance is truly futile. You see, X-Men, this day of triumphs, you have been kind in preparation for a long time. And in many ways, we have had the help of those who knew you best. Candy Southern, Cameron Hodge, and this old friend. Gene, don't let find Gene help my sister. So they have Sarah, the sister of Jean Grey. Like... They out here, hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your sisters, because they out here kidnapping everybody. And this is like, oh my god. So they're, they're pretty much like showing the reach of the phalanx and how powerful these motherfuckers is. And like, if we want these new generation of mutants, we getting them. Um, and we know you. We own you. We know you inside out. The phalanx, we roll from the ashes, and we got you. Like, there's nothing that you can do. And this feels... This is a good story because it feels like it. It feels like there is nowhere to run. It feels stressful. It feels scary. It feels like, oh, you motherfuckers, like, what What do you think you're going to accomplish here? X-Men, your backs are truly against the wall. We've taken all of your other X-Heroes. We've made Phalanx copies of them. You saw that in the last issue. Like, it's over. Give it up. Hang it up. Flat screen. So... Emma uses her powers not to fight, but to talk to, uh, to Lang. She says, Lang, listen to me. You have to see through your idiotic prejudice and acknowledge the fact that the phalanx have grown far beyond your ability to control them. You're playing with fire, Lang. These are no longer simply fanatics who have accepted the Transmo virus. There's something more. And he yelled at her, What have I done, Frost? It's create something that allows humans to climb one rung higher than mutants on the evolutionary ladder to defend themselves. And that's the other thing. Like, mu- <sighs> Frustrates me to no end. Mutants are the next step in the evolution of humans. Why are you trying to kill these people? Why are you trying to destroy these motherfuckers? Like... This is this is ludicrous. My God, this is absolutely ludicrous. So they mentioned that they got paid. She's been taken, 
Um, another one of your precious Generation X falls on the onslaught of the phalanx. We'll see you motherfuckers later. It is what it is. Uh, but Emma, she gets this dark look on her face, and she's like, man, what the fuck have you done? Lang, you are ridiculous. You will continue to delude yourself, thinking that the phalanx is uh, merely a means to an end, but trust and believe, they're going to get your ass too. And she don't say that, but she should have. Yeah, and pretty much this is the end. Um, well, the very end is when we turn around and realize that Sabretooth have escaped. But Lord, talk about, like, I honestly feel like the Phalanx Covenant, with the way the MCU works and how, well, most comic book cinematic stories, you know, you pick and choose from different arcs in the comics. Though the Phalanx was a huge storyline, I feel like it could be scaled down to specifically the Generation X. Like I said, be it animated or be a live action, I prefer live action. Um, you don't have to have this big Infinity War style storyline with the Phalanx. Because one, let's say you scale it back, you use it to introduce Generation X, and then years from now, because we did have Hickman reintroduce the Phalanx in his House of X Powers of Ten series, then bring them back and do the Infinity War style big event with them after you've already seeded in their um, presence with Generation X. But, you know, that's just me. I'm sure there's other moving parts to it, but I want to see this as the origin. Like, this shit was good as fuck, and we're, we're still in the middle of it. I think it's like two more issues to go for the Phalanx Covenant, and then we get into Generation X proper. Uh, man, yeah, stuff's getting wild, y'all. Yeah, so we're at the end of the second uh, episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for gotten this far. I know I did a, a couple rants. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Use the hashtag SLTMPod. Um, give me your thoughts. Twitter specifically, hit me up on Twitter at SLTMPod. That is the handle for the show. And let me know what you thought. Like, is this as intense for you as it was for me? <laughs> um, but your next required reading for episode three will be Uncanny X-Men number 317. We're almost out of the Phalanx Covenant and into Generation X proper. Thank you guys for following on this ride. But please be sure to hit me up on any questions. You know, use the hashtag or you can email me carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com or just hit me up on Twitter. I'm on there all day, every day anyways. Um, let me know what your thoughts are. Do you have any questions maybe about mutant stuff, Generation X, X-Men, hell, if I don't know, I'll try to figure it out or, you know, if you got some stuff to inform me on, use that hashtag SLTMPod. I want to make this more of a conversation and add to the conversation um, and hopefully add more readers and eyes on the book that I loved from the 90s, Generation X. So, thanks guys, and until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and out, shit, stay, stay with your daddy's shotgun closer to the house than the farm, because when your sister get abducted, you don't want to have to run outside to get a shotgun while your mama being abducted too, you know? <laughs> Alright, y'all.